So Donald Coggin said the following words. He said, I go through life as a transient on his way to eternity, made in the image of God, but with that image debased, needing to be taught how to meditate, to worship, and to think. So as I said earlier, we're in this, uh, this series called Access Points. Normally we teach through books of the Bible, but um, as we finished the book of Acts, we wanted to take a few weeks and just um, get into some topics, uh, and, and some topical material. Uh, and really what we're getting at in this series is spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines. Now those are kind of big words, but basically what it means is that you as a believer, when you got saved, um, God planted new life into you. Okay, when you, have uh, you heard the, the language born again? When you were saved, you were literally born again. You had a new spiritual life. And when God planted that spiritual life in you, he planted it for the purpose of maturation. He planted for the purpose that your spiritual life would grow and mature uh, because he has eternal purposes for that. He has eternal purposes for the spiritual life that he has birthed within you. And as Christians, we have this amazing uh, opportunity, this amazing experience uh, to be able to grow spiritually. And we actually have a, a part to play in that. Now, we looked at that last week. I tried to set the table uh, a little bit uh, for this series. But what we talked about was we talked about the fact that God actually gives us a part to play. And the word we use was sanctification in our spiritual growth. That it's not just something that we just sort of take our hands off the wheel and go, well, whatever, I'll grow. It'll happen. That in fact, we actually are to, as Christians, engage in the work of spiritual maturity. And we're to, we're to actually um, form and lead ourselves in forming um, our spiritual life. Now, when I say spiritual, last week we talked about this, I don't mean floating. I don't mean unseen. I don't mean immaterial. When I say spiritual, I mean in conformity with the rule of Jesus. Okay, so something is spiritual if it is in line with the heart and the mission of Jesus. So what we're doing in the series is we're trying to give you guys tools and avenues for growing spiritually, for growing into spiritual maturity. But the reason we're calling it access points instead of disciplines of grace or something is because the concept is not that we're just trying to be better versions of ourselves. The concept is not that we're just trying to, to um, sort of be like a, a level 10 Jedi Knight Christian where we have all these powers that we've sort of harnessed and that we can walk around and just spout out Bible verses. And, you know, all, that's not the point. The point as Christians, Christian maturity is defined, as we defined it last week, is actually growing in our understanding of our need for God's grace. Okay, Christian maturity is growing in our understanding of our need for God's grace. And what we're calling these access points is they're ways of reminding ourselves just how much grace there is and how much grace we need. We're not saved only by grace. We're also sanctified by grace. We're saved by grace. We're also matured by grace and in grace, like a plant that's roots are just sunk deep into God's grace and favor in our lives. I love this quote. It's probably my favorite quote right now. Dallas Willard, he says, the Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. The Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. So the point of the spiritual disciplines isn't to, to see how amazing of a Christian you can be. The point of the spiritual disciplines is that we realize that we can do nothing of ourselves. We realize we have no strength, no ability to change and transform ourselves. but the spiritual disciplines give us access to the grace of God um, that, that, that will do it ultimately through us and for us. There's a, a case to be made, I think, as Christians, especially sort of in, in, in the circle that we run in. There's a case to be made, I think, uh, that we oftentimes are better at taking in sermons than we are at actually using them. Would anybody agree with that? So I'm super good at listening to sermons. Anybody else good at that? 
I'm like, that's my spiritual gift, right? I could just turn on a podcast and listen to sermons. And we're all about it, you know? And that's, and that's great, and that's important, and that's helpful. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times, we're kind of like on the basic American diet. We eat 10 times more than we use, right? So, so like if you're just, you know, taking 10 protein shakes a day and never going to the gym, how do you think that your body's gonna respond to that? And in the same way, I think spiritually, as Christians in, in the Western world, we struggle with that. We just take in and take in and take in and take in, and we don't ever use it. And so it just sort of creates these fat stores of spiritual fatness. I don't know what else to call it. You know, and we just, we just, we get really sluggish. We get used to hearing truths, but we don't get used to responding to them. And the point of the spiritual disciplines is that it gets us in the gym. Okay, not for earning our, not for earning salvation. That's already been earned. We can't earn any more favor. But for the purpose of, as Paul would say, working out our sanctification, working out our salvation, growing up into maturity. We have to balance truth with action. So each of these disciplines we're going to cover over the next five weeks are all going to be practical, religious function that allow you to grow and mature. And I just, I have to make this clear. These are not for the purpose of winning God's favor. These are not for the purpose of earning grace. You cannot earn more grace than there already is for you eternally. God has already made the perfect sacrifice for you if you're in him. The purpose of the disciplines are that we might grow in our understanding of the grace, grow in our understanding of maturity uh, as a believer, okay? So that's just my series overview. Is everybody with me? Everybody good with that? So what we're going to talk about this morning, our first access point, our first discipline is technically meditation, but that word just carries so much baggage. I like the phrase deep think, okay? Deep think. So you might hear me use both of those interchangeably, but I mean the same thing. Richard Foster, who wrote the book that you got, Richard Foster, in his chapter on meditation, he says the following. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people, praise God, or gifted people, but for deep people, for deep people. Guys, I really think that, I'm just so excited to talk about this with you guys this morning, because this is something that we all need to hear. Okay, there is a general lack of depth in the general, in, 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 the, in the general population of our culture right now. There's a general lack of depth, and I think as Christians, our greatest value add right now in our culture is not to be the loudest voice, not to be the shiniest object, but to be the deepest object, to be someone that has spent time in the depths of the mind of the Lord, to be able to bring peace and bring truth and bring wisdom into the, the, the polarized moment that we're in right now in our culture. So open up your Bibles, Mark chapter four. Let me just make a biblical case for deep thinking. Okay, Mark chapter four. Look at a few passages here. So Mark chapter four, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He's in Galilee. He's beginning to teach his disciples and he's begins, he begins to teach in parables. And you're familiar with this one. Verse one of chapter four. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up. But since it had no depth of soil and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. It yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And then he said to them, he who, has a ear, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, this, this is a parable you're probably familiar with, and you're probably familiar with it from a standpoint of evangelism, right? So we go out and we're like the sower, and we, we reach into our leather pouch down here that has the seed in it, and we just are, are chucking the seed. It goes out everywhere and some of it sort of dribbles onto the ground and ends up falling on some stony soil where there's no root and some of it gets flung too far out into the thorns and some of it gets flung into into to shallow soil that looks like it's good soil but it's not really and some falls on on good good soil and, and grows up but the reality is this is not only just a warning for us as evangelists this is actually in many ways i think a, a warning for those who already believe because the, the emphasis of this parable is not the seed. Okay, the seed is clearly effectual. The seed clearly does its job. The seed is fine. The seed, of course, is the gospel. But what changes the effectiveness of the seed is the condition and the place that it falls. And there's three things that Jesus clearly says have to happen for the soil to take root. Number one is depth. Depth, if the seed falls on soil that appears to be Deep, but it actually has stone right under it. It's pretty common in the Middle East to have that kind of soil. Then it'll immediately sprout up, but it'll die because there's no root. There's no depth. The second thing is quality. The, se- the soil needs to have quality. It needs to be able to, to um, give the, the, the nutrients and the water and the sun that is needed. And the third thing it needs is space, right? Space. So I just want to ask you guys, as we're, as we're digging into this topic of deep think, what kind of soil is the truth that you're holding, what kind of soil is it laying in? What kind of soil is it laying? Is it choked out? Is, it, is there space in your soil? Is there depth in your soil? Are the roots trying to sink down, trying to sink deep, and they're, and they're hitting barriers? How, do you, how deep are you allowing God's word to penetrate the deepest part of your being? These are hard questions. But this is the question I think Jesus is getting at here. He's saying the gospel is good news and the gospel will be cast to you. And when it does land in you, what's the quality of your soil? What's the depth of your soil? Now flip over to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? In other words, why, why are you calling me the king and not doing what I tell you? They're, they're inconsistent. They're incompatible. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation when the stream broke against it and immediately fell and the ruin of the house was great. Now, you don't need your Greek thesaurus to figure out what this means. It's very simple. And I love that about Jesus' teaching. It's, it's eternally profound, yet absolutely simple. He's drawing a, a very obvious 
uh, application from a very obvious picture. Okay, that if you want to have a house that is sturdy, that is firm, that is going to last, what do you do? You build it on a foundation that is what? Deep. You build it on a foundation that is deep. You dig down until you can set your footers on bedrock, on something that is unmovable. It's, it's very simple. It's very basic logic. So depth matters. Would you agree? Yeah. Depth matters. Okay, one more, one more reference. Psalm chapter 1. Let's go Old Testament. Psalm chapter 1. And I, I wanted to just spend the whole morning on this passage, but there's so many other things. Psalm 1. Everybody there? Yep. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, you might underline that word, his delight, this isn't just his, his um, discipline, this isn't just his morning ritual, it's his delight is in the law of the Lord. Law is, is the word of God. Now, they, they believe that when he says law here, he's referring not only to the Old Testament, uh, pardon me, not only the first five books of the Bible, but the entirety of the Old Testament. So his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, we'll get into this more later, but that word meditate, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it's actually mumble. Isn't that interesting? Or mutter. And, and, and the way that they would read in, in the ancient times, the way the Jews would read, they would sit there and they would read Torah and they would read it under their breath, out loud, quietly to themselves. Blessed is a man who walks in the council of the wicked. You could just, you just sort of hear muttering. So you would walk into a synagogue and you would hear the Jewish believers, um, the covenant followers of Yahweh, reading the Torah, probably many times from memory, just muttering under their breath. Okay, that's the idea of meditate. He's like a tree. He who meditates is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The message that Jesus is bringing in Mark chapter 4 is nothing new. It's the message that God has been trying to tell his people since, since the beginning. And that is that, that if you want to have stability, if you want to have life, if you want to be like a tree by a stream of water with deep roots that has constant nutrition, then you need to sink deep roots. You need to have depth in your life. I know the wind's blowing on my microphone, but just try to ignore it, okay? Now that I just drew attention to it, it's even harder to ignore it, right? Shallow thinking equals chaff blown to the wind. You understand that picture? In the old, in, in, in the old times, they would, they would separate okay, um, the, the wheat from, from the rest of the stuff by basically throwing it in the air and then the chaff would just blow away and what was left was what they would use ultimately to, to turn into grain and things. So the same idea, if you don't want to blow away, if you don't want to be flown by the wind and, and just carried about by every kind of thing, then, then have depth. Have depth. A couple more references. You don't have to turn here. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 Deuteronomy just means second law. It was probably the most important message um, of God to his people before they went in to the promised land. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Anybody know what this is called? Shema. Great Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. By the way, heart there could be translated mind. Okay, because soul means your inner being. All your might means your physical strength. So heart really could be translated your mind. So love God with your mind, with your soul, with your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart or mind. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, we know that our, our Jewish um, friends, you know, read that and they took it literally and they put literally put the law in tiny writing into a little box and they literally put it on their head. But this is not what God's getting at here. He's getting at that the fact that his words, which are the expression of his mind, should be literally infiltrating every single part of your life. It should, be, it should be infiltrating your conversation. It should be infiltrating your home. It should be infiltrating your children and the way that you teach your children. God's word should be something that is constantly being brought up. Meditation is just that. Meditation is just that. Genesis 24, 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. The psalmist says in Psalm 63, I think of thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the watches of the night. Psalm 119, 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate upon thy promise. Now, when you hear those, do you get a sense of duty or do you get a sense of delight? When you hear that, do you, do you go, oh yeah, these guys are just doing their religious duty. When you hear the psalmist say, I can't wake up early enough to just to open up my mind to the truths and the words of God. I can't, I can't wait to wake up and meditate on the word of the Lord. That doesn't sound like duty to me. It sounds like delight. And here's my point. To be a growing and a thriving and a mature follower of Jesus is to be one who gives your deepest and most valuable attention to exploring the mind of God. Okay? To be a mature follower of Jesus is to be one who gives your deepest and most valuable attention to the exploring of the mind of God. You understand that the word of God is the expression of his mind. It is him expressing in such a way that we can understand his thinking. Before there was matter, what was there? There was God. But God is immaterial. God is spiritual. So what was there? There was the mind of God. The mind of God existed before the creation of God. The creation was an expression of his mind. His word is an expression of his mind. You are literally, when you open the Bible and meditate on it, you are exploring the mind of eternal God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when asked why he meditated, he said, because I'm a Christian. <laughs> I, love, I love that. Because I'm a Christian. What else would I give my attention to? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, news, Fox News, NBC News, Snapchat, whatever. I don't even know it all. There's so many things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, what else would I think about? Now, now listen to me. The most valuable thing that you have to offer as a human being, are you ready? The most valuable thing that you have to offer is your attention. Did you know that? Did you know that if, you, if you're working right now and you have a boss, your boss is not paying you to stand somewhere. Well, maybe. <laughs> but more than likely, your boss is paying you for one thing. You know what it is? Your attention. He's paying you for your attention. I want you to pay attention to this area. Okay, so Teresa. Ter Teresa works here. She's our kids director. She has an amazing job. She's constantly thinking of our kids and, and, and thinking of ideas and praying for them. And the reason that we hired Teresa was for her attention. Her attention 
to our children, to lead them and to teach them and to care for them. And that, that's the, 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 the reason that, that, that she works here. Matt works for Philippi as well, um, part-time. And, and, and I hired Matt because I need Matt's attention. Not personally. I don't need his attention. I'm starving for attention. I need Matt to help me pay attention to the things of this church. Is that, is that making sense? Okay, the reason that, that, I, that I'm your pastor here and the reason that I run everything here is because uh, someone needs to pay attention to the direction of the church, the vision of the church, the preaching of the word, the doctrine of the church. So ultimately, the most valuable thing you have is your attention. Now ask yourself, where is the majority of your attention placed? Where is the majority of your attention placed? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. We tend to think about the things that are most valuable to us. Would you agree? We tend to think about the things. So, you know, I really like to go backpacking. And whenever I have a backpacking trip coming up, just ask my wife. It's like hour upon hour of planning and thinking. And I have lists. I have everything weighed down to the gram. I know how much everything weighs in my bag. Um, and I know what food I'm going to bring. And all of this kind of stuff. Because I love to go backpacking. It's valuable to me. So I think about it. I meditate on it. I know it's, it's ridiculous, but I do. And you probably have something like that too. What we value, we give attention to. And listen, what we give attention to, we will value. Okay? What we value, we give attention to. And what we give attention to, we will value. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Whatever you're thinking about all the time, you're going to love. And what you love, you'll eventually worship. So the, 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 the thing that our mind dwells on uh, ultimately defines what we treasure. I remember listening to Vadi Bakum one time give a sermon and he was talking about this, this experience he had where he was doing premarital. Or no, it wasn't premarital, it was marital counseling. And he said, you know, the, the gal is pretty typical. He just doesn't pay attention to me. He checks out while I'm talking. He's not interested in anything I'm doing. Um, you know, he never, he never shows or expresses affection in public. And so Vadi Bakum turns to the guy, he's like, well, what do you have to say about that? He's like, I'm just not that kind of guy, man. I'm just, I'm not an expressive person. I'm not an emotional person. I just don't. He's like, really? So if you're standing in the auditorium and your team is just on the wire, they got about five seconds to score a touchdown. If they score a touchdown, they're going to win. You're telling me you're not out of your seat, jumping up and down, flailing your arms. He's like, well, that's true. He says, so the reality isn't that you're not that kind of person. The reality is that your attention is somewhere else. Okay. I'm not trying to guilt trip you too much, but the reality is, the reality is, if you want to know what you love, look at what you think about. If you want to know what you treasure, look at what your mind's thinking on. That's, it's really a simple, it's a simple equation. The psalmists and the New Testament authors and Christ himself, they beckon us to go into the deep places of thinking about the Lord and his word and his will. But here's the problem that I have, okay? Let me just be honest. The problem I have is that my attention, which is the most valuable thing I, I, I really have to offer, uh, my attention has been hijacked and divided. Anyone else with me on that? My, my attention is being hijacked and divided. So tell me if this is a familiar scene for you. So you get up, you're excited um, to read your Bible. You've made a little bit of time. You had the coffee set the night, the night before. So you get up and you sit in your chair and you open up the word and you start reading, but you naturally have your cell phone right next to your Bible because they're of equal importance, right? Right? Um, no? Okay. You, you, your phone's sitting there just in case someone texts you at six because you never know, you know? And then as you're reading your Bible, you think of something oh man, I really need to pay that bill. No, oh, no, no, I'll do it later. No. You keep reading and you think, oh, I wonder if that person ever emailed me back. I'll just check really quick. 
So you grab your phone, you pull it out, and you check your email. And as you're checking your email, you start to see different things come. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I really need to put that on my calendar. If I don't do that, I'm going to forget. It's really important. And then you see the news feed kind of come. Oh, I wonder what's going on. I wonder if the world ended. Before you know it, before you know it, it's been 10 minutes. Your Bible sits completely untouched. Your phone is completely absorbed. Your focus is fully on your, on your phone. And, and before you know it, even though you still have 10 minutes left, you just can't seem to focus on the Bible. It doesn't seem as interesting anymore because what you just opened on your phone is so much more interesting. It's so much more relevant, so much more immediate. You know, what, did, what dumb thing did Donald Trump say? Uh, are people mad about wearing masks or not? What did Oregon, what's going on? What's the new thing? Uh, sorry, that wasn't a jab at Donald Trump. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he says dumb things. Can we all agree? Okay, um, not disrespectful, just true. Okay, anyways, so, you know, all of, that's what happens when I leave my notes. I say dumb things. Um, <laughs> fortunately, that's why I don't have Twitter, because I would say dumb things on Twitter. Anyways, <laughs> your, 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 your attention is constantly hijacked. Okay, your attention is high. And, and what, what's the problem with us? Uh, and I don't think I'm the only one here who feels that way. I don't think I'm the only one here who feels like it's really, really hard to sit down and give my attention to the Lord. Why is it so hard? I have a few theories, okay? In the word of, of Dana Hankins, I have some thoughts about that. Where's Dana? I have some thoughts about that. Okay, I have some theories. Number one, we have underestimated society's desire to solicit and pimp our attention. Okay, and I selected those words very purposefully. Uh, this thing is not amoral. Do you understand what I mean by that? Have you heard that before? Hey, you know, this is just a piece of machinery. Uh, it's your decision whether or not you're going to use it for evil or good. Um, okay, this thing was engineered for the purpose of stealing your attention. Did you know that? Just learned that this week. My wife is reading a, a book you should get called How to Break Up with Your Smartphone. Is it smartphone or just phone? How to break up with your phone. And they're quoting engineers that are talking about the fact that they systematically build apps to addict you like heroin. <laughs> okay, so they literally, sometimes they'll hold back notifications and then they'll release them all at the same time to give you the maximum dopamine hit so that your body naturally wants to pull your phone out more than you ever would ever think you would want to. They're messing with you. <laughs> they're screwing with you because they want your attention. That's why Facebook's free. It's free because they're selling your attention. They're selling your information. Okay, now my point of my sermon is not to tell you to get rid of your smartphone or anything like that. I just, I, I want you to understand that, first of all, you need to understand this thing is out to steal your attention. It's out to steal your attention. And, and, and ultimately, I have just come to the point where I've realized if this thing is sitting next to me, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm just not. Not any more than maybe five minutes. So we have underestimated society's desire to solicit our attention. Number two, I think we have overestimated our own bandwidth. We have overestimated our own bandwidth. You know what the word bandwidth means? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term basically used in computers. Uh, where's David? You would know better than I would. Uh, it's a term used in computers. Basically, uh, you only have so much bandwidth. If you have five guys on the Wi-Fi all streaming Netflix at the same time, you have bandwidth issues, right? So as human beings, you may not realize this, but you have limitations. Amen? You have limitations. Um, but what our culture has lied us into thinking is that you can exceed those limitations through technology. That you can actually do something that is impossible, and that's called multitasking. So I've done some studying on this. It's really interesting. The idea of multitasking is fiction. You cannot focus on two things at the same time, unless you're a mom, okay? 
You cannot focus on two things. They've done studies. You think you're focusing on two things, but what you're actually doing is you're just ping-ponging your attention back and forth from one thing to the other. And what they found in studies as well is that every time you ping-pong your attention back from one thing to the other, you have a harder time getting back to where that thought was here. So it might take you 10 minutes to get to a place where you can think clearly in a certain area, and then you instantly pull your attention just for a minute because your phone dinged. Getting it back to where it was could take you another 10 minutes. Multitasking is a myth, okay? So we have this hard drive and RAM problem, okay? RAM is the thing that allows your computer to have multiple windows open at the same time. If you have too many windows open at the same time, what happens? Crash. Computer starts to slow down, eventually it crashes, gets glitchy, okay? All of us have so many windows open all the time. I mean, just trying to focus at work, you got emails going, maybe music going, maybe TV going, maybe some talking in the background. So much noise and so much clutter. You're the same human being that lived 5,000 years ago, okay? It's not that you have evolved into being able to have, you know, 50 things going at the same time. That's untrue. It's a myth. My other theory, number three, we've trained our brains for overstimulation. Is anybody bored right now? Okay. <laughs> If you're bored, it's because you trained your brain for overstimulation. Our brains want the dopamine hit that comes from being doing four, doing four or five things at a time. Our, our ability to focus has become unnatural because our bodies are now trained to want overstimulation. That's why movies are so obnoxiously loud and crazy and flashy. I mean, my, the shows my kids watch are crazy. I mean, I, I remember like Bugs Bunny, you know, it's like the bunny just runs across and he gets in a fight with, the, you know, Elmer Fudd and that's the show. Now it's like... Within five minutes, you know, there's like 50 different scenes and all of this noise and all this flashing because they know our kids have gotten addicted to more stimulation. The fourth thing, I think, is that we have we've come accustomed. I'm, let me start over. We have accustomed our brains to a diet of shallow think. Okay, let me explain it like this. Um, I love carbs. I love them. I love junk carbs. Like I love bread and tortillas. I love sugar. Uh, and, and I love it. And my body loves it because when I eat it, I instantly get this spike of glycogen, which makes me feel good for about three minutes. And then I'm a slob that doesn't want to get off the couch and I'm grumpy. Like, I'm just being really honest this morning. I, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like being honest. Okay, that's the reality of carbs and sugar for me. Okay, in the same way, entertainment is like carbs. Entertainment is a quick feeling of um, ecstasy or, or escape or whatever. You watch a movie that's really, you know, really um, cinematic and it sort of carries you out of your immediate place that you don't want to be in and you feel good for about five minutes. You walk out of the theater and realize your life is still your life. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the truth. It, we're, we have become accustomed to things that pull us out of reality into another reality. Uh, they've done studies that, that show that humans respond the most to three things. New things, things that are new. Potentially harmful things. That's how the news makes all their money. Okay? They know that you will always click on something that you think might tell you the world's going to end. And thirdly, entertaining things. And we've trained our minds and our bodies to want those things like carbs and sugar. So when you open up the timeless word of God, it doesn't stand a chance against what you've trained your body to want. Is this making sense for anybody? Yeah. Okay. The timeless truths of God are harder because they're like protein. They're going to carry you through the whole day. But your body doesn't crave them as immediately, even though it's really what you need. It's really what you need. Richard Foster, he said, if we hope 
to move beyond the superficialities of our culture, including our religious culture, we must be willing to go down into the recreating silences, into the inner world of contemplation. The classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm. They urge us to be the answer to a hollow world. Man, I would love to be able to stand with the answer to the hollowness of the world, wouldn't you? But let me just tell you something. You're not going to get it in a Twitter-sized truth. We all want the Twitter version, okay? But the reality is, it's like when I prepare for a sermon, I would love to just be able to go to a website and download a sermon. But the reality is, is that you guys hear 45 minutes, okay, 50, okay, an hour. You hear an hour of, of, of stuff that's been distilled out of 25 to 30 hours. And there's no getting around that. Anyone who's ever preached knows that. You just have to give your attention and 95% of what you learned isn't going to come out. But that's where depth comes from. Thomas Watson, the reason we come away so cold from the reading of the scriptures is because we do not warm our hands by the fires of meditation. Okay, so hopefully I've gotten you excited about this idea of deep think or meditation. But now let's try to give some definition to what I'm actually talking about. Okay, so what am I actually talking about when I say meditation? Donald Whitney defines it like this. He says, deep thinking, uh, meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. Okay, so it's deep thinking. Uh, it's not just collecting information. It's allowing that information to, to infiltrate the depths of your heart and decision-making in a way that changes you. It's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. Meditation is allowing the weight of God's word to sit long enough to weigh heavy enough and to sink deep enough that it transforms your inner life and subsequently your outer decisions. It's allowing God's word to sit deep enough to, or to sink deep enough to weigh heavy enough that it'll transform you from the inside out. Okay, that's meditation. Everything we do as humans is pretty much based on what we think. Our decisions are almost always based on what we think. And that's why Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. So there's a work that needs to be done in you as a Christian. The way that you think is naturally programmed wrongly. That's where we disagree with the world. Okay? We are actually wrong thinkers by nature. And when we get saved, God slowly transforms us into right thinkers. But he does that not in the shallows of our mind. He doesn't do that through information. And this is where I think uh, the church universally really needs to, to work on things sometimes because we're so quick to just dump information. I'm so quick to just be like, here, here's the information. Here's the truths. Here's the biblical knowledge. And we just take it all in. But we don't let it transfer the 12 inches from our brain to our hearts. And that 12 inches from your brain to your heart is a long way. It takes a long time for truth to sink from your brain to your heart. Is it not? I mean, there are things that I have learned and have known for 31 years that I still have not allowed to hit my heart. Meditation is the process of taking information that is true and pressing it down into your heart in a way that it begins to affect change in the way you think and the way that you act. 
If God's word is the wind, meditation is the sail. Okay? If God's word is food, meditation is the digestive system. It's what allows us to turn that food into energy. It's the idea of chewing the cud. Have you heard that before? That's the classic analogy for meditation. It's just chewing the cud. The cow just sits there and chews it and chews it and chews it. And there's just more and more and more nutrients that we allow the truth of God's word to be digested deeply. C.S. Lewis says, In the silence and in meditation on the eternal truths, I hear the voice of God, which excites our hearts to greater love. The easiest way to understand Christian meditation is to contrast it with um, non-Christian meditation. Okay, non-Christian meditation is about looking within oneself, eliminating the outside voices, and listening to your truest self. Okay, Christian meditation is completely the opposite. It's about tuning out yourself and tuning in God's truth, God's word. That's what Christian meditation ultimately is. For the purpose that Christ's life and mind would be ultimately formed in us. Like Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That is the goal of Christian maturity, is that Christ would be formed in you the way he thinks formed in you. So here we get to the, qu- the question that maybe, maybe you guys are, are at, which is how do we do that? How do we meditate on God's word? How do we practically do that? So I'm going to blitz through this really quickly. I want to give you three things that you need to know and three things you need to do. Okay? Three things you need to know and three things you need to do. First of all, you need to see your deep, you need to see your deep need and your shallow, that must be a kid. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody pushed a button. Okay, I'm just going to pretend like it's happening. Um, see so your deep need and your shallow bandwidth. Your deep need and your shallow bandwidth. Oh, Casey. Oh, man. Is that your car? Oh, man. You got to do 10 Hail Marys right now. Man, quenching the spirit. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't focus. Did you see that? I like my, my attention was just completely gone. Not enough bandwidth. Okay. Number one, you need to see your deep need and your shallow bandwidth. Your deep need and your shallow bandwidth. When I'm trying to eat healthy, the two things that help me the most are number one, understanding just how much I love junk food. And number two, understanding just how good I feel when I'm not eating it. The same thing is true of God's word. You need to, first of all, understand just how much you are hardwired to not listen to it. And secondly, you need to understand just how much depth and joy and peace you have when you are in it. Those two things will get you up in the morning. Those two things will get you in front of your Bible. Part of being a mature human being is learning your limitations, learning your humanity, and living within those. Okay, as as humans, we need sleep. As humans, we need food. As humans, we need rest. As humans, we need social boundaries, social limitations. We, We need all of those things. And that's just part of being a human being. Without those things, we aren't healthy humans. The same thing is true of our spiritual life. If you do not have a understanding of your spiritual needs and spiritual limitations, you will not be a healthy spiritual person. Okay, uh, we are spiritual beings. We are now birthed with Christ's blood flowing through our veins. We're part of his spiritual body. And because of that, we crave a different kind of nutrients than the world can offer. 
Okay, news sources can offer interesting things, but they can't offer you the spiritual nutrition that you need. Okay, uh, the spiritual nutrition that you need comes from God's word. You were designed to eat it, just like a human is designed to eat food. It's the same thing. You need spiritual nutrition. If you don't eat spiritual nutrition, you will die. <laughs> okay, th th that's what Mark 4 was all about. The seed that had no depth, the seed that had, that had soil, that there was no nutrients in it. You cannot afford to give, you cannot afford not to give attention to God's truth. We just can't afford not to. I always love the analogy of seasickness. Okay, seasickness is what happens when your belly and your mind get on a different page, <laughs> right? Like your mind is losing track of what is up and what is down and, and your body just goes, uh-uh, and everything's coming up, right? What, what keeps you from getting seasick is having a point of reference that is unchanging. So the shoreline, they tell you to look at the shoreline. Meditation keeps you from being chaff blown to the wind, keeps you from getting tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as Colossians says, because your eyes are fixed on the one unchanging thing, and that is God and his word. It keeps you focused. The second thing you need to know is you need to remember that meditation is not always for the joy of the moment. It is often for a preparation for a moment to come. It is often a preparation for a moment to come. I was just having a conversation with a few of our congregants the other day about this, and, and they were expressing frustration that, you know, sometimes they open the word and it, they don't feel anything. And you guys ever have that? Are you all super spiritual and never <laughs> feel that? Okay, you open the word and you don't feel anything. And I was just explaining to them, you know, I don't think that's why you read the Bible. I think it's a, it's a grace and a gift. Sometimes you open it up and man, it's just like, wow, I feel that truth. But oftentimes you're reading for later in the day. You're reading because you, you might get a call that day that someone you love just got in a car accident and now you're headed to the hospital. Do you have st stability in that moment? Do you have the gospel framed in your mind? Do you have the truth in your mind in that moment? Do you have scripture to pull on? Truth to pull on? It's interesting, Jesus, when he, is, um, when he goes out to the wilderness to be tempted before his ministry, he gets baptized, he's 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and the enemy is attacking him. What's the enemy attacking him with? Lies. Lies, okay. He's trying to get Jesus to believe uh, a lie and what does Jesus fight back with? Truth, yeah, the word. And it's interesting that Jesus' responses, I'd love to get into this, but more time. Jesus' responses are all right out of the book of Deuteronomy. All three of them. Bam, bam, bam. Book of Deuteronomy. And most commentators agree he was probably reading Deuteronomy. That was probably where he was at in his morning devotion. Like that's probably what he had on his mind and on his heart. And he used that truth that he had already been meditating on to combat the lies of the enemy. Okay. The psalmist says, I've hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's about getting it into you so that it's there when you need it. Thirdly, the third thing you need to know, meditation is an access point to both worship and pleasure. Now follow me on this. This is kind of interesting. Paul Bloom, who's a Yale professor with a PhD and whatever, who cares, um, specializes in, he's smart, okay, whatever, uh, specializes in pleasure research. The study of how we as humans develop the ability to derive pleasure from people, experiences, and things. He's discovered through his research that pleasure does not simply occur, listen, it does not simply occur, it develops. Listen to what he says. He says, people ask me, how do you get more pleasure out of life? He's, my answer is extremely pedantic. Study more. The key to enjoying wine isn't just guzzling wine, 
or lots of expensive wine. It is learning about wine. Have you ever found that to be true? What makes that wine glass, if you're a wine person or whatever, so enjoyable is that you understand the vineyard that it comes from. You know the vintage. It makes it enjoyable. Jen Wilkins says, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Meditation ultimately is increasing our joy and delight and pleasure in God and who he is. Because as we learn of him, we enjoy him more. How can you enjoy someone you don't know? I don't feel the Lord's presence. I don't feel any joy. I don't feel any passion for the Lord. Okay, there's seasons of that in your life. But one of the things you might check, one check engine light that might come on, how much are you learning about the Lord? Because as you learn about the goodness of the Lord, it provokes worship in you. Theology, as John Piper says, is the wood on the fire of our affections. As we study the nature of God through his word. Now I want to give you three to-dos. And then we'll be done. Three to-dos. If you're interested in being a deeper thinker about the person of God, the word of God. Number one, be intentional. Okay, be intentional. Don't walk out of here and go, yeah, Sam's true. That's true. That's, that's, that, was, that was good. Sam's right. And then just go right on the way things are. I mean, that, that would just be ridiculous. So be intentional. Make space. Okay, space is, is, is the final frontier. No, um, that was for you, Dana. Sorry. Spa- space. <laughs> I'm all over the place today. Space is the, is the place where God's word has room to actually affect you. You need to make room for it. So when in your day can you devote full attention? For some of you, especially moms in here, you're like, maybe 5 a.m., okay? It may be after your kids go to bed. I, I don't know when it is. That's for you to figure out. But you need to give space, time where you can fully focus. The phone needs to go off. The phone needs to go off. You need to be alone. You, you, you need to give um, yourself enough time to get into the deep places of thinking. I read a book called Deep Work. It was a secular book, but it was all about how we've lost the art of deep thinking. Um, and his whole point was it, it takes you 20 to 30 minutes to get to a place where you can actually have deep creative thinking. 20 to 30 minutes of no distractions. So that means you need to give yourself like an hour because if you're just doing 20 minutes, you're not even getting anywhere close to the threshold of deep thinking where you can actually meditate on and chew on and and allow deep thoughts to come from you. So you need to create a space, let everybody around you know, hey, I'm going to be doing this at this time. I'm not saying I'm good at this, by the way. I'm just telling you what you should do and what I should do too. Number two, the second thing you need to do is don't just eliminate, infiltrate. Don't just eliminate, infiltrate. What I mean by that is don't let the monastic mindset get into your head. You know what the monastics were? They, they were the, the Catholics that went, they said, you know, if, if spirituality comes by blocking out the world, then let's go live in a parish. Let's go live completely alone, completely isolated. Sin and the world is an interesting way of following you because you're the source of it, <laughs> right? So uh, that, that doesn't always work. And, and you might find yourself uh, completely isolating and completely separating and, and you're not able to meditate at all. I understand that the majority of our life is lived among humans. It's among work. It's among our kids. It's among busyness and craziness. And you're saying, Sam, how can I sort of be this deep scholarly thinker all day? Okay, it's not about eliminating. It's about infiltrating. I want you to bring God's word into life. See it flushed out. That's part of meditation. Part of meditation is seeing the truth of God's word express itself in all the realities of your day. David Brainerd, he says, when you cease from labor, fill up your time in reading, meditation, and prayer. And 
While your hands are laboring, let your heart be employed as much as possible in divine thoughts. You can think about God, think about his truths, think about his realities, even while you're at work. I understand there's certain jobs that take your full attention. I understand that. But my point is to bring, to, 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 to use meditation to its fullest ability is to think about God in his truths, even when you're busy, whatever situation you're in. And then last thing, we'll just end with this. Become accustomed to the uncomfortable mystery of the otherness of God. What you're going to find when you start traipsing in to the depth of thinking about the Lord and his word is you're going to find that you're going to get confused a lot. You're going to find that you're going to go, I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand the hypostatic union. How could Jesus be fully God and fully man? I don't understand election and, 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 and God's sovereignty and mine, free will and whatever these different deep thoughts are. You're going to come to these points where you're going to go, Lord, I don't understand. And he's going to go, that's exactly where I want you standing on the precipice of my otherness. You know, that's what holiness means. Just otherness. God is completely other. He's completely outside of anything we can possibly define or fully understand. And, and he's given us little tidbits, but where he wants us is he wants us standing at the, the, the edge of the cavern where we look out and we see, God, you are so big and magnificent and majestic and beautiful that I just want to keep exploring even though I understand that I'm never going to fully figure this out. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you might know him. You ever thought about that? You are going to be learning, thinking about God for eternity. And you'll never figure it all out because he's really, really big and he's really, really good. His nature is eternal. There is no end to understanding the depths of the riches of his love. So when you meditate, you are really starting what you're going to do for the rest of eternity. You're practicing what you're going to do for the rest of eternity, beholding eternal truths and worshiping God for them. Amen. Would you guys stand? Father, we thank you so much this morning for your word. Thank you that my music stand just fell down. <laughs> Counted all joy. But we thank you that there is so much truth that we can think of, God. We thank you, Father, that your nature, God, is worth exploring. Your word is worth our attention. God, for each of us, I pray we wouldn't walk out of here burdened with another thing to do. We would walk out of here excited to give our attention to something that will ultimately bring us ultimate joy and delight because nothing could satisfy us more than you, Lord. So God, we want to give more of our attention to you. And Lord, we pray that in this, this moment that we live in in culture, God, where our phones and our computers are hijacking our attention, I pray, God, we would fight back. And that we'd say, no, this attention is for the Lord that we would get good boundaries, that we would be spiritually mature, spiritually healthy Christians that can bring deepness into the hollowness of this world. There's so much hollowness right now, so much chaff just being blown away, God, right now. And we just pray that we would be people that are anchored to the shore with our eye on the shoreline, with truth, robust truth to bring into political controversy and all the things around us, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.